Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. It's another episode of the Guardians of Grace podcast. As you can tell, it's Steve flying solo again today. Brother Bill could not be here with us. The cares of the world have him. It seems like he had a a dental appointment, then something that needed to be done for his parents again, his elderly parents that he's trying to get moved. They had to move some furniture. Then he was supposed to still try and do his a whole day's worth of work. So I told him, man, I got the podcast covered, Bill. You go do your thing and do it in God's speed. May the Lord be with you. Let's all pray for Bill. Father God, we are praying for Bill to accomplish all that he needs and get back to the podcast because that's where he really wants to be. That's what he loves doing, you guys. I'm finished with the prayer, but Bill wants to be in here seven days a week so bad he can't stand it. It's literally causing depression for him. You you don't know how many scriptures he has bottled up inside of himself and wants to release them, wants to release them five days a week, five times a day. That would be okay. You couldn't overload Bill when it comes to proclaiming the gospel in talking about Bible verses. He could go day or night, day and night, doesn't need to eat, just nonstop Bible. He would be happy as happy could be, but unfortunately, like I said, the cares of the world are not allowing Bill to do that. I'm hoping that we raise enough monthly income that Bill can put down his plow and come on into the studio for good, doing what he's called to do, because you guys have to admit he's got a calling on his life and it's it's just being wasted. It's going nowhere, it's not bearing any fruit. So if somehow I could get some monthly income coming in off this podcast or any other way, I'm working on other ways that might end up earning some money each month and I would give it to Bill. I I myself have my house paid off and I I don't need the money as bad as Bill does. I'm pretty much living below the poverty level, but with my house paid off, I'm I'm doing okay. Just, Just barely above feeling pain. So I'm feeling no pain and I want to work to get Bill in here. I I don't really care about money. I don't really care about earning more money, but I do want for Bill to get in here. That's genuinely what I pray for at the end of each and every day. Let Bill somehow get situated where he can podcast all day like his heart wants to do. But hopefully, you know, we'll keep plugging along 
at this podcast and somebody will discover us or recognize the, the value of the podcast, if there be any value. And I think there is. I, I think coining to scripture is always valuable. And that's all we do at Guardians of Grace. Like I said, that's how we roll. Yeah, if Bill could get in here, that would be great. That would be such a blessing to me. I'd love to see that. And it would be a blessing to everybody out there, too, for all the guard dogs, because if I had Bill in there, we would do amazing things. You you can't believe how little time we actually get to work on this podcast. Me and Bill get in here having a clue what we're going to say and just push record and start speaking because we've never had time to, you know, prepare for something as far as the podcast goes. We just come in here and whatever the spirit gives us, he gives us. And that's what we say. That's why sometimes the podcast seems to be a little disheveled or we're, we're fighting against each other or, or things like that happening where we don't put the right word in the right sentence. It, it, it's because we don't really have time to edit. We don't have time to prepare. We just do the best we can with what God is bringing in now. And I just ha- have to tell you that Even for today, I'm going to try to read some scriptures. And why do I say try to read some scriptures? Because about four years ago, I had a stroke and it fried three little compartments of the back of my brain. And it does, has all to do with processing information. And it processes the information that come through my eyes and my eyes don't see right. I can only see half of the field of vision that is in front of me. In other words, you guys get a big panoramic view as far as you can see from one side to the other. Well, I can only go from the beginning of the right side in the middle of the panoramic view all the way over to the end of the right side. The left side, I can't see at all. That's why I can't get back to the beginning of the next verse when I get to the end. Like if I get to the end of verse 10, I go back to the beginning of verse 11 and I can't find it because It's not because my eyes are bad. It's because there's a place in my brain that's broken and it just doesn't register any thoughts or anything. It can't tell what the eye sees. So that's why I read like a third grader. And I'm sorry, I figured I I need to just come out and admit it and tell you guys that both Bill and I, Bill had an accident, I had a stroke, but both Bill and I, actually are like the Israelites when when God told them, just, I I want you guys to gather up a remnant 
of Israel, just a small section of Israel, and he did it by having them drink water out of a river, and those who lapped it up could go, I think, and those who didn't, couldn't, something like that. But either way, he did a test and got himself just a remnant of the population that's known as Israel, the nation of Israel. Well, I and Bill only have a remnant of our brains. We, we do this handicap. We do this with only a remnant of our brain power. And it sure does fulfill 1 Corinthians 1, the last six or eight verses in 1 Corinthians 1. We, we really do that. It makes for many, many, many um, hardships on us. And it makes for not being very handy with the computer when you can't concentrate, which is the other part of what happened to me with the stroke. I can't concentrate. All I can do is daydream and my thoughts are very flighty and I have no memory. Two minutes later, what I thought of is gone. I can't remember it. So when I do scriptures, I'm going off scriptures that, that I memorized in like 1991, say 91 through 96. I did a lot of memorizing the Bible and I have to rely on that with only a half a brain. So you can just use your imagination and, and think about that, but also think about if there's any way you can support our ministry and we can get Bill in the studio, and it sure would bless us because that's the only thing in life we need is to communicate these scriptures. But it would be a blessing to everybody out there that listened to the podcast because we could put some together some podcasts that would just amaze you with the revelation. Bill and I haven't even touch the top of the iceberg as far as the revelation that we can share with you guys. We have so much of it bottled up that both of us want to explode. But I said all that to say that Bill's not here, and so we're going to try and do a bit of a podcast slash Bible studies, and I want it to be out of Timothy chapter 2. Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2, looking at verses 9 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to attempt to read those, and now you know why I'm attempting to. See how well the eyes do. Verse 9. Urge bond slaves to subject themselves to their own master, Oops, I messed that one up. Let me try it again. Let me start again. I earn bond I urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well pleasing, not contradicting, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that their masters may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. They want you to act like model slaves 
so that your masters will adorn the gospel in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that we might, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous to do good works. Okay, now that is the passage read to you as a whole. I'm going to take out each section and we're going to look at it. But let me say up front what I am trying to do in 1 Timothy chapter 2 the phrase that the Holy Spirit instructs us, or this grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live godly in this present age. To deny ungodliness and to live godly in this present age. Those are the two phrases I want to work on. What ungodly means and what godly means in the confines of Timothy chapter 2. How he is using the words is what I want to find out. And all we have to do to do that is to find the scriptures that correspond and define the terms that we're going to use. So we're going to go through this passage piece by piece. One piece at a time, we're going to try it. Part by part, we're going to use the part-whole approach. It says in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, past tense, bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Let's look on the word appeared and salvation. First off, what do you think about that word appeared? Do you think that means he appeared 2,000 years ago? When do you think he appeared or appears? Bringing salvation to all men. I'll confess that for the first 15 or so years of being a Christian, I believed it meant he saved us at the cross. He saved us at the cross because that was the only way I knew the word saved or salvation. It's the only way it ever registered in my mind. I'd only heard it spoken about as getting saved, getting saved, getting your salvation. I never looked into any of the nuances about the word salvation or saved. Come to find out, this passage is talking about salvation in like a present tense. 
it's an end time salvation because this is a passage that deals with doctrines that are in time, in the time zone, in the realm of time, that the ones that we experience. And he says he brought salvation to us who live in the realm of time. And the reason I say that is because of verse 12 that we read already, but let me bring it back to your memory. Okay, verse 12. The grace of God instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. He's talking about right now in the time zone, the day he was speaking, the day you and I are reading it in this present age, the grace of God is teaching us how to deny ungodliness and live a godly Christian life. So now allow me to put both of these verses together. It says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and unworldly desires and to live sensibly righteous and godly in this present age. So let me read verse 11 and make a comment on it. It says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. This grace of God that's going to instruct us to deny ungodliness and partake of godliness, this grace has appeared to all men, bringing them salvation. I want to ask you, or how is that word appeared, used, and the idea of bringing salvation to all men? What, in which way is the scripture using the word salvation. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because there I believe we get some insight into this Titus chapter 2 passage that we're looking at. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 4 starting in verse 8. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. We're constantly dying for Christ's sake that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Here in this passage, he's given a more in-depth look at what Titus 2.10 was just alluding to when it used the word appear. Here we're seeing that it actually is Christ manifesting himself 
in our physical bodies. Jesus manifests himself through you, and that's what it was talking about when it said, and the grace appears bringing salvation to all men. So now, so far, we've deduced that we are talking about doctrines that deal with our everyday life. And they're saying grace appears or manifests itself in us. The grace is literally Jesus. Jesus manifests himself in us to save us. And that's the next word I want to look at, the word save. Here is how it reads in the Titus passage that we're looking at. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing, present tense, salvation to all men. In other words, Jesus came down to earth again on the day of Pentecost and appeared like tongues of fire and distributed those tongues of fire to all the apostles who were in that upper room praying and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then Peter goes out on the balcony and Jesus shows himself through Peter again and Peter gives the crowd of thousands of people the gospel and 3,000 people believed that day. That means 3,000 people received Jesus and he could save that crowd of 3,000 people from themselves just like he would save Peter and all the other apostles from themselves. And what do I mean by he would save them from themselves. You remember in Romans 7 where it says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do the good that I do want to do and I don't understand why, but sin controls me and has waged war in my members and it dominates me and Paul finally goes out and says, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, the Jesus who came down on the day of Pentecost and entered the apostles and then entered all those people, he entered them to save them from themselves, from bad behavior that they exhibit all day long, just like you and I. We cry out, oh Lord, will you separate me from this Yahoo man that I'm manifesting right now? I can't seem to get rid of him and he's embarrassing me all day. He has embarrassed me. Will you appear and bring salvation to me? Will you appear through me to bring salvation to me? When God manifests himself through you, you are saved from yourself. That's why Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ in Paul separated Paul 
from the natural man that he was trapped in and experiencing. He was experiencing the natural man and didn't like it and said, Lord, please save me from this natural man that I'm experiencing. I'm experiencing the mind of the flesh as it is described in Romans 8. Remember, the those who walk according to the flesh have their minds controlled by the flesh, but those who walk according to the Spirit have their minds controlled by the Spirit. And the mind of the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the laws of God, nor does, is it even able to. The mind of the flesh, the mind of the human nature, can not please God. God and we attempt and we try to please God in, in our own human strength and finally we get tired and say Lord save me from this save me from this futility and Christ appears you see how the words are used there in Titus he appears and he that salvation that happens is what teaches us not to depend on ourselves it teaches us deny un, to deny ungodliness and to receive godliness ungodliness is us in our natural self devoid of God's activity in us that's ungodliness now godliness and it says they live godly lives. They live in godliness. Godliness is where you're experiencing God. The God of the universe himself. You can experience him. It can be tangible. You can feel and tell when you're experiencing God and he can save you from yourself. Just believe what this passage is telling you and live by it and you will see that God will save you in a tangible, experienceable way if you just live this way. If you let grace teach you to deny ungodliness, which is to deny self-determination, are you so foolish after beginning in the spirit? Are you going to try and attain the goal by ungodliness, by human effort? We are the ungodliness. Our human nature is the ungodliness. The godliness is our new man, our spirit man, that can manifest himself any day, any hour, any minute, and save us from the futility that our human nature lives in and exists in and experiences. He can save us from experiencing the natural man with all his worry and doubt because I don't know if you know it, but the human nature, the flesh, the human nature that is talked about in the Bible is none other than the sum total of all self-preservative instincts. The human nature is the sum total of all self-preservative instincts. Everything 
that it can think of to survive. That's what it is. It's self-preserving because it knows it's going to die, but it tries real hard to live. And it tries real hard to please God, but it can't, and it can't live. Then the Spirit has to save us from that futility of trying so hard to, you know, use the self, get what the self-preservative instinct needs. Only God can give you what that self-preservative instinct needs. Only living godly can give you what that ungodliness needs, the human nature needs. The spirit, the God that makes us godly can deliver us from the human nature which is always embarrassing us and letting us down and letting the people around us down even though it tries so hard. And man, I can tell you, I tried. I tried to be a model Christian and to love everybody and cause everyone to say, it's fun being around you. You're, you're a pretty cool guy. You've, you've got great insight, and, and I like listening to the words you say. Man, it just didn't happen. The, the more I tried to be that person, which that person is the person you want to be. You want to be that person. I tried. I tried to be that person, and I couldn't. I couldn't reach that high standard I set for myself. I finally gave up the ungodly life and asked for the godly life. And this grace teaches us to deny ungodliness, to deny that the flesh accomplished anything. If a Christian comes to you and says, man, you did a great job. You really ministered to that guy. You deny ungodliness. You say, it wasn't me in my natural ungodly state. It was God in me. And instead of denying God, godliness and being ungodly, you give all the glory to God, the godliness of you. You give God the glory for the godliness that you are experiencing, the godliness that saves you from the ungodly, and life becomes good again, and your relationships become good again. You can speak the words that Jesus wants you to speak. And you can wait on the Lord and just not run your mouth so much, but just wait till Jesus gives you some good words to say. Silence can be deafening. If you say nothing sometimes, that's speaking louder than anything. But just wait on the Lord so you say godly things and give credit to God when he does say things through you. It wasn't me doing that. That was God you heard. God said that to you. That's living a godly life. 
but denying that it was Jesus in you doing the good works is living an ungodly life. It's like it says in Jude 1.4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who long beforehand were marked out for condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only master and Lord, our God. They deny that it's our God. They don't say it's God in me doing it, but they deny that it's God. They deny it. They don't give him credit for what he does through you. They deny the Lord Jesus. It's kind of like what it says in 2 John 7, where it says, Many deceivers have come out into this world who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. These are deceivers in Antichrist. They do not acknowledge that Jesus is inside of you, that he's come in the flesh, that he came down from the third heaven to live in you. The life I live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God, Galatians 2. That's that's living by the truth. That That is pointing out that it's Jesus Christ's faithfulness that I use to live this life out in my body. I live every day by the faithfulness of Christ in me, the hope of glory, is what Paul's saying in Galatians, as opposed to 2 John 7, where they're ungodly people who deny that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul said the people that deny that the Lord Jesus Christ has come in the flesh are actually deceivers and antichrists. Antichrist means instead of Christ. They Instead of acknowledging that Christ in them did the good work, they say something else instead did the good work. They say something else did the good work instead of saying that it was Christ in me, the hope of glory, doing the good work. They're deceivers and antichrist. That's what an antichrist is. He's somebody who denies Christ denies the works that Christ is doing in our mortal bodies, even though it's evident that it's certainly not them because they don't have a loving, kind spirit at all. They don't manifest love and kindness, which are fruits of the spirit. And they would deny that love and kindness is a fruit of the spirit. They would deny that when they see love and kindness come out of you that it was a fruit of the spirit they would just say you were determined and you did it or it was the fruit of Beelzebub I don't know what they'd say instead of giving Christ the credit 
but it all comes down to giving Christ the credit. That is how you store up treasures in heaven. That's why just after saying, watch out about these guys who deny that Jesus came in the flesh, these are deceivers and antichrists, he says in 1 John 8, watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished, that you may receive a full reward, that you may receive a full reward because that's what the Christian life is all about, storing up treasures in heaven. How do you store up treasures in heaven? You say, it's God in me doing the works, and that's where you get the treasures in heaven. Don't take credit for what God is doing, because then you got your treasure. Whatever pat on the back you got, that was it. That was the big reward you were going to get. Trade that reward in for God's eternal reward that the moth can't eat or the rust can't corrupt. That's the reward Jesus said to strive for. I hope it's all beginning to make sense. This whole gospel that Peter and Timothy and Titus all speak about, they're all on the same wavelength. You can read each one of the epistles and you can see it's in perfect harmony with the next epistle. It does not contradict itself at all if you're looking at it through the lens of what it means to be in the new covenant. The new covenant where he said, I will put my spirit in you and do for you what you can't do for yourselves. Put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes is the way it goes. But what it means is put my spirit in you to do what you can't do for yourselves. To live a model Christian life. You do that whenever he's manifesting. And when he's not, well, your sins and lawless deeds he remembers no more. It's a perfect covenant. You're waiting on God to manifest himself. And when you're not, you're doing the best you can, but it's, it's probably imperfect. And he came to, he said, I will remember your imperfections no more. The way you missed the mark. I will remember how you missed the mark no more. I won't remember that stuff. So just keep waiting on me and if I haven't manifest myself in there and you've had a really bad day and you're embarrassed by your behavior, just remember your sins and lawless deeds, you'll remember no more. That is what the Holy Spirit says. It says that right in Hebrews. It says the Holy Spirit says this Holy Spirit who whose ministry is righteousness, if you look at 2 Corinthians, it'll say the law is the ministry of condemnation, but the Spirit's ministry is righteousness, to tell you you are righteousness. Then it says in Hebrews, the Spirit says. Says to who? Says to you. 
when you've had a bad day, says to you, says to me when I've had a bad day, your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. That is what the Spirit says. And Jesus said, I'm going to bring you the Comforter, and he will teach you all things, and he'll guide you into all truth. Well, the truth of the matter is God made a new covenant, and he swore that your sins and lawless deeds he'll remember no more. And he'll look at you just the way he looked at Abraham in Romans chapter Four. Let's take a look at that. Just remember that Abraham was a Yahoo. He never did act right. He sinned the whole time he was living. He gave his wife to the king for sex. How many of you wives would like your husband to give you away so a stranger can have sex with you. Is that why you got married? Is that what you think is a cool marriage? Because that's what Abraham did to Sarah. He said, go have sex with her, him so I don't die. Pretend I'm your brother, not your husband. He literally did that. Do you guys know that? Do you know that later on, Sarah, his wife said, Go have sex with our maid so you can bear a son. How would you like that, huh? She told him to do it because they didn't believe God, either one of them. Or how about when Abraham and Sarah both fell on their face and laughed at God when he told them next year you'll have a child, they laughed at God when he did that. They laughed at him. Abraham laughed it at him. And all he did was name the son Laughter because they laughed at him. So his name was Laughter. As a reminder that you laughed at me. Continual, every time you say it to your son, you're reminded that you laughed at God. But look at how God describes Abraham because of the promise that he made that your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. Laughing at me, I'll remember no more. When you fell on your face and laughed at me, when I told you you would have a son next year, I'm not going to remember that about you. This is what I'm going to say about you. Chapter 4, verse 17 of Romans. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and caused things that did not exist as existing. He calls things that did not exist as existing. And he did that in his testimony about Abraham. Listen to it. In hope, he hoped. He believed in order that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. You, 
you shall your descendants be and without becoming weak in faith he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old when he was 100 is when he laughed at God that's what he was doing when he was 100 but see because your sins and lawless deeds God will remember no more it's not the way he's describing Abraham so let me go on so and without becoming weak in faith he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb yet with respect to the promise of God he did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith giving glory to God is laughing at God giving him glory is that what he calls giving glory to God see it says he calls things that do not exist existing he calls things that do not exist as if they did exist but they didn't in Abraham's case it says in being fully assured that what he had promised he would also perform therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness but listen to this now not for his sake only is this written that was reckoned of him but for our sake to whom it will be reckoned those who believe in him who raised Christ from the dead do you see he's saying I just told you about Abraham not for Abraham's sake but he that's exactly how Abraham benefited he he remembered his sins no more and he called Abraham as doing things which Abraham didn't do he says this is for your benefit I'm writing you this description of Abraham I'm writing you a new covenant description of how God sees us I'm writing this for your benefit for you who are going to be credited with believing also you're going to get the same credit Abraham did and he's going to give testimony about you that you never wavered in anything you weren't going to the bars like you are you weren't doing this or that you weren't smooching girls that were already married or something he's going to say you never did that and you were strong in faith you, you were a very good Christian you got an A for the day he's giving this testimony about Abraham so that you will get it so that you the believer will get it that he remembers your sins and lawless deeds no more he did not remember Abraham's sins anymore and he describes Lot the exact same way later on in the Bible he said he was a righteous man tormented in his righteous soul 
he gave his daughter to a crowd of men to rape. He opened the door and kicked his daughter out of the house when there was a mob outside wanting to have sex with the two angels that were with Lot. He said, no, take my virgin daughter. How about that? Is that being righteous? But God called him a righteous man tormented in his righteous soul. But it's written for your benefit because he's calling you a righteous man tormented in your righteous soul, even though you know full well that you do not live up to it. But according to God's promise, he will remember your sins and lawless deeds no more, just like he showed you in Romans 4 about not holding Abraham's deeds as something he remembered. He remembered them not. And he gave an example of Abraham for your benefit that you would know he remembers your sins and lawless deeds no more either. And that is what the Spirit ministers to you. The Spirit, it says, the Spirit says your sins and lawless deeds you'll remember no more. That's what the Spirit ministers. When you are living ungodly and you're embarrassed about yourself, he'll save you and make you start living godly when he manifests himself through you. And people that rely on him to make them godly, those are called godly believers. Ungodly believers are the ones that said it's not him in me, saving me from myself all day long and making me shine as a Christian. It's not him. That's what an ungodly person does. But at least I hope we get an understanding, a new covenant understanding of what it means to be godly or how grace teaches us to live a godly life. We fail and we live in futility and we fail and then when Jesus manifests and through manifests himself through us, then we shine like bright gold. And that teaches us to live godly, to depend on God to live inside of us, live godly. So with that in mind, I'm going to close this in prayer and just ask that we take root. Father God, that you make everybody take root, that you give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind of under, to understand that you would, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the last verse says, you have the mind of Christ. Father, I want you to manifest your mind in everybody who listens to this podcast so that they can comprehend how wide and long and high and deep is your love for them, a love that surpasses human intellect. It literally overthrows human intellect, Father. I ask you to do this in Jesus, your son's name. Amen. 
I hope everybody understood what I was trying to get at. But for now, I'll say good night, you guys. We love you. I know Bill would say the same thing if he was here. So good night.